Welcome to the Last Drinks podcast. I'm Will Hitchens. This is Mitchell Ford. Uh, today's guest is the co-founder of Cool to Be Conscious, Mr. Ryan Hubbard. Welcome to my apartment, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. I was just saying this. I love the gear. I love the setup. This yeah. is this is authentic. And I'm excited to see where it grows and expands from here. You know, maybe next time we'll have the, the full on, yeah. the robot arm. Yeah. But I, I love this. I love this. Firstly, just, yeah, thank you for inviting me on. Really excited talking to this topic and see where the conversation goes. Yeah. And thank you for taking the time out of what seems to be a busy schedule for you as the expansion of Cool to Be Conscious. I mean, I remember when it was just a little group in Bert, I guess. I mean, I came across it at the start of this, I guess, maybe end of last year, at the start of this year. And it was just sort of, Gold Coast, and then you've expanded sort of all over Australia, I think even New Zealand, and now you're looking to go over the ocean as well with it. Uh, it's amazing to watch, and yeah. Um, and we've, I reached out to you because I listened to one of your podcast episodes where you talked about alcohol and sort of your journey with it, and I thought it was really good. You and Rue sort of. I mean, we just, I just listened to it again before and it was, um, yeah, it's a really good episode so for our viewers to go check out the Cool Libby Conscious podcast. I believe it's episode 10. But yeah, uh, we just thought we'd start with sort of, I guess, what was your sort of introduction to alcohol and where, was, where did the journey begin for Mr. <laughs> Hubbard? <laughs> Shivers. All right. Where do I start? Well, firstly, yeah, thank, you, thank you for um, acknowledging the, the, the expansion of of what we're doing, it's really amazing to see it be um, absorbed and taken in by people. You know, it's, it's the biggest challenge is how do we articulate things in a way that will resonate and land for people. Um, so thank you for seeing and appreciating the growth and the journey. You know, I sometimes forget to reflect and take a moment to go, holy shit, what is actually happening right now? And yeah, New Zealand's next on the list and then USA next year, which is yeah, really exciting. To, to start with your question, where it's taking me, the beginning of um, the relationship with alcohol started when I was 14 years old, and I was living on a farm over in New Zealand, North Canterbury, and over there it is very uh, predominantly focused around beer, you know, growing up on a farm, driving tractors, and, and the way in which farmers or uh, contractors would, would thank us if we've done a good job is they'd drop a box of beers off, box, box of beer off to the staff room. You know, so seeing all these boxes of beers arrive and I was, I was a young fella. But I'd always be in the environment of the workers or employees of our business drink alcohol. And it, was, it wasn't long until I got my hands on one. You know, my stepdad and my mum never hid it from me. They were always like, look, if you want a beer, grab a beer and you can have a beer with us. Um, and then I soon began to really experiment and, and see what it was doing to the body and how I could play with it in a way. Um, and it wasn't long until I was doing things that I look back on now and go, holy shit, how did I get away with that firstly? How am I still here firstly? And how did I not kill anybody secondly, thirdly? Um... And it was quick. It was a quick. It was a quick relationship to go from trying alcohol to really um, losing sense of self with alcohol. Um, I'm sure we'll talk into that in more depth as we move through this podcast and what I guess manifested as the beginning of my journey. But yeah, it was experimenting and seeing what we could do. See how many beers we could drink. It was more of a competitive thing as well with your friends and sculling and that was always the competition and not knowing really what was going on in the body but just experimenting and um playing with these things yeah i had i never really had a a strong mentor or a um a masculine figure in my life that was a, a good mo a role model you know my stepdad was someone who would drink a lot you know we would go to the pub and um he wasn't one to control himself in the best manner when it comes to intoxication and the way that he showed up very varied a lot you know he was like balancing on a pendulum most of the time and it could go one way it could go the other um, and that line was really thin according to what his I think emotional state was in that environment or in that time um, you know I'd seen him 
from having really deep uh, conversations with people. <laughs> Usually the, the main topic was farming and talking about tractors and trucks and agriculture, but then I've seen him be aggressive and be in fights in the bar. Uh, so for me, it was seeing and being amongst all of those different um, environments and experiences with alcohol from a really young age. And the culture in New Zealand is re- very orientated around alcohol. And I can understand now from a point of view that it was simply used to to really run away from self, uh, to run away from emotions. And uh, I'd love to, to talk into that a bit. But that was the beginning. It was the beginning, being on the farm, being around that culture and environment and seeing it as almost a celebration. If we worked hard, you have a beer. But that, that one beer would always turn into 10 and then 20 and then things just got out of hand. But I'm sure it's very similar for you guys Um as Australians yeah exactly yeah so sounds like you had a sort of a typical upbringing to a lot of Australians in that way with that early exposure to alcohol I was the same I was about 14 when I first tried so did you find that as you aged especially past 18 that your drinking amplified absolutely it was it was an unconscious thing I wasn't really aware of what was going on but the more my suppression became apparent, the more I was using it to escape those feelings and sensations in the body, and it become like a almost a routine. Uh, you know, every weekend I'd just be so excited to to get on the beers, and that was my almost reset. I feel I'd get to to Friday, I'd be really compressed and agitated. And uncomfortable with my body and then the beers as soon as i had that beer that first or second beer i'd really feel that weight or pressure subside and then from there it was uh it was a domino effect into blacking out and completely losing sense of consciousness and self and i wasn't aware of this until i become more aware of myself of how bad or not bad but how predominant it was for me to get blackout every single weekend um but yeah, it started off with just playing with it, testing it, and then it was really used as a vice to escape my, my body and my emotions. But I was yeah unaware of what these things were and what it meant. But for me, I was just trying to be that party goer. I was trying to be that outgoing guy that was like, let's go out and drink, you know. And I had a few friends that were like, no, I'm not, think- I'm not feeling this weekend. And I was always like, no, let's go. I was the peer pressure. I was like the big energy that was like, no, let's, we're on, lads, we're on. But realizing that that was me actually crying out for some support or help. You know, I was, I was actually wanting someone to challenge me going, why do you need to drink? Why why do you need to drink every weekend? But the, the lack of awareness around that within the, the group of people that I was in, they didn't understand what was going on either. Um, and that's just the lack of education in New Zealand. I feel Australia as well. It's the, it's the lack of education on what's happening and what patterns are playing out and what is becoming really destructive for the body and for self and for our mental health. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, completely agree with that. And then, yeah, I mean, I can resonate with that so much, like being the driver as well, um, being the one that was sort of the leader, trying to bring others out to drink. And that's that's what I mean personally. That's what I realized was a pretty serious problem for myself mm. I don't know about you will but yeah well i i would run out of people and then just because i guess i grew up here you go out to surface on a saturday night i'd always run into someone so that was kind of like oh if i didn't know my friends want to go out i'd just go out and then and then for the and then what eventually i guess came to was just i drank on my own and then just yeah. went on my own sort of adventures so <laughs> um yeah i guess did you think that perhaps the sort of egging on trying to get people to come was sort of I guess I don't know like over maybe you were sort of overcompensating for yeah like um I guess if you weren't sort of drinking you were sort of more sort of were you, were you coming more out when you were drinking as a person then sort of and you were sort of when you weren't drinking you were sort of shut away a bit well to, to begin with I so I grew up on the farm I was and all my all my mates they went and moved down to boarding school and things like that a university and I was, I was out on the farm, I was driving tractors, you know, from the age of 17, 18, 19, I was, I was on the farm and I was, I was operating heavy machinery. And for me, that was my work, that was my life, that was who I was. So we would work seven days a week in the summer, unless it rained. 
So for me, I feel alcohol was an excuse to go and connect with people and to be with my friends. And it was always orientated around alcohol and drinking because I was somewhat unhappy with my state of being and where I was. And I was looking for a stimulant, right? I was looking for that excuse to express my most authentic or, or open self. You know, sitting on a tractor for 12 to 16 hours a day is really fatiguing mentally. You know, I was, it's actually really hard to comprehend where I was and what I was doing back in, in, that, in that time of my life. You know, my, I, was, I was working anywhere from 80 to 120 hours a week. I can't, I can't, I can't even comprehend that now. <laughs> You know, it's a shitload. So every opportunity I got to disconnect from that and go into town and piss up, I'd take it. So like I remember finishing work. This an early night for me. Working would be like ten o'clock. You know, and we'd start work at seven thirty. We'd go right through. Ten o'clock was my an early finish, and it was an hour and a half drive into Christchurch. I'd get off my tractor, park it up, straighten my Ute, straight to town. And I'd get a box and I'd start drinking on the way. So by the time I got to where everyone was pre-drinking before town, I'd be somewhat getting nearly, you know, ready. And then I'd get there and I'd just be chasing my own tail. Everyone would be already hammered and I'd just be trying to smash them down as fast as I could. The big question that I have is, did you ever cut out the youth and just take the tractor out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, great question. Um, no, I wish I did though. That would have been absolutely hilarious. There, there were points where we were working close to the pub and I'd pulled up in the pub, pulled up to the pub in a tractor before, which was pretty hilarious, you know, and I thought it was the cool thing to do. And it was back then, so it was a bit of a flex in the country, eh? Rocking up in your big tractor. <laughs> Yeah. And then so, yeah, you've identified that you had a, sounds like you had a problem with alcohol from a young age. At what age did you, did you realise that you had a problem? When was the first time that you identified it? The first time I really stopped and I said, this is, this is not good, was when I woke up next to another woman and I was in a committed relationship. And for me that was... That was fucking terrifying, eh? I woke up and I, I, I remember walking into the bathroom and, and looking at myself in the mirror and I said, who are you? Who are, this is not you. Like, who are you? And from there, it was there was a moment of... I've been in denial for, with myself for a long time with how bad this has become. And it's taken me to the point in being disloyal and cheating on someone who I was meant to love to make me realize that I'd had a problem with alcohol. Um, so that was, that was the catalyst to the beginning of, of change. That moment right there. You know, before that, I was always creating and comparing myself to other people that had severe drinking issues as well. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not, it's not that bad. You know, I'm, you know, it's not that bad. You know, 10 beers in one night, all good. But, Really, really, it was, it was, yeah, it was an issue. But that, that for me was the moment when I, when I cheated on my partner and I, yeah, really sunk in then, really sunk in then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think alcohol really can destroy your values. Mm. You can, you can leave who you truly are, like you're talking about. Um, it's awful that that happened to you, but it sounds like it was a catalyst and has rocketed you to where you are now because how, how old were you when that happened i was i was 20 so this would have been quick math <laughs> I, this would have been in 20 2019 2019 is when this happened um so that is i'm 27 now 24 24 years old, I would have been, and and from that moment, I I realized I had a problem, but I didn't commit. I thought I could get away with it, and what I mean by that is, I didn't tell her. I was still in denial in a way. I was like, I can fix this. I can fix this. We had a we had a beautiful trip planned. She was she's actually Australia based. And I was like, she's going to fly over, she's not going to know, I can get away with this. And it sort of continued. 
and it was really interesting what happened and unfolded from here um, when she came over the body the physical body and my heart had just closed yeah. and it would not allow any love in from her mm -hmm. it was like a, a repulsive feeling and it knew that it wasn't worthy of her love and I couldn't trick it I was trying to trick it yeah, yeah, yeah. and I had no idea or awareness around how the body works or energetics work but she was like hugging me and holding me and kissing me and I wouldn't receive it. I couldn't receive it. Um, and then she started picking things, you know, she started picking up something was going on. Um, but at, during this time, and I was still drinking and we're going out and I was still escaping in some way about what had happened. And I was, didn't want to tell her. And it wasn't until she, she really challenged me. She's like, what's going on? Because a woman is so sensitive and intuitive. They're like fucking superwoman, you know? They fucking know. They know everything. And yeah. those are listening and like, nah, she doesn't know. She knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she knows. She knows something's she up. Knows something's yeah, up. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was that. It was um, having to come from her and having her to see me and challenge me with what's going on for me to address again what was really happening. And um, it wasn't until the beginning of 2020 when I put a full stop to it, but that was after a lot more destruction. Uh, the relationship ended. She flew back to Australia the next day after me expressing what had happened. Um, I put her on a plane and sent her away. And, and what did I do? I went to a festival two days later, got absolutely smashed off my mind, out of my mind. I tried to find any drug I could to run away from myself. Looking back, that was a massive, um, I think it was a massive way for me to actually ask for help, you know, because I was in that group of friends and I was asking if anyone had drugs and more alcohol and whatever I could get my hands on and um, you know I could I could notice the boys starting to get a little bit concerned um, but there was no point in time where they're like Brian like let's sit and what's going on bro it was more like observing me and being there but um, yeah I, I had to I had to go through again another um, inducive moment of alcohol drugs and then the following few days went by and this is when I had my first panic attack and that was when the body was really screaming to me. It's like, something's got to stop here. You've got to change. I thought I was going to die. I was in a, um, I don't know if you guys have had a panic attack before, but I was, yeah, you've experienced that. Yeah. Bro, scariest thing. Yeah, it is probably the scariest thing. It is. Yeah, losing control over the body and hyperventilating. I was cramping. I remember looking at my hands and they were blue. And I was like, you know, um, yeah, out of control. And in that moment, I... Um, I let go in a way. I let go of um, tears. I started crying to my best mate. I was on the ground, could hardly breathe, and he just held my hand. He held my hand. In that moment, I, I really allowed myself to be honest with where I was at. Um, and from there, it was this beautiful um, yeah, moment of being okay with not being okay. You know, As cliche as that sounds, I, I was okay with not being okay. And from there, it was like the journey begins of assisting myself and, and looking to better myself and back then I didn't know what that was or what that looked like I don't know about any of these modalities that we use now but it was a beginning it was the beginning of a new version of me which was exciting hmm. it's very interesting like I guess with the people we've been talking to there's always a theme a theme of a lot of sort of turning points is like a relationship breakdown especially I guess because we've been talking to a few guys lately and every I mean I had it I think you've had it. Yeah. I think, yeah, they feel it's just, there's like, it's such a, it's like a relationship breakdown, I guess for men is like a pinnacle sort of, and then, yeah, all those sorts of emotions and feelings that come up and I guess you don't know how to deal with them. Well, one way you can deal with them is just to pick up a bottle or just pick up some drugs and just suppress it. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of, yeah, wild held, especially yeah, just hearing it from other people that yeah. just like, oh, it's pretty common. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. And I know relationship breakdown um, is, a, is a strong correlation between male suicide in Australia and relationship breakdown as well. So either way, it seems to be a, a real pinnacle in, in men's lives. I'm sure women's lives too, but I suppose I can only speak for men right now. But um, but yeah, so and up to that point, were you in a, did you find that you were in a bit of a state of denial up that point? Like it's almost like paranoia in your own mind because I found when I was going through the phase of stopping drinking and drinking again, you are almost debating with yourself whether you should drink or not. Did you have that experience? I, I deep down knew that it wasn't good for me. 
and, and everyone knows, everyone has the answers, but we choose not to listen because when we listen to that voice or that guidance, it's fucking scary and it's change and it's what we're most afraid of in life. I feel I was, I was really going down and into the place of depression and I was having those suicidal thoughts. You know, I remember driving down the highway, you know, late at night and it would cross my mind. I could just pull straight into that power point and be all over. And that was a reoccurring thought. And what pulled me through or allowed me to um, stay in this reality was my mum. My mum's love. It's what I felt when I was having these thoughts was her love, you know. And she she just is, is so loving and caring towards me and, and my sister. And we've had a We've had a, everyone's had a tough life, but we had a tough upbringing, and as everyone does, their challenges in life, it's it's all perfect, you know. But in those moments, it's challenging, and what was coming through for me was, I I need to give myself another chance here, for my mum. I owed her that. She just gave me so much time, so much energy. She was there. I um. She was there for me when whenever I needed her when I was young and. That was what was coming through. Every time I had those suicidal thoughts, mum, just mum, mum's face. I just see her face and that's what really got me through. But yeah, I was. I was in a massive state of denial. I was I was, I was, was hearing about people that were um, depressed and all these labels and I never wanted to label myself as that because I was so afraid to do that because then people would see me as someone that was depressed and that was scary. So I was like, I can't do that. i got to keep being this person that's energetic and outgoing and fun and loud and obnoxious because that's what I was for me to step out of that and let go of that identity that I had created for people it was like the expectations that I was putting on myself to be the certain character for people if I let that go that was like a death right and it was a death when I let go and I, I was vulnerable I was raw and I was like I actually need help that day was almost the scariest because I let go of that identity I let myself cry and feel in front of my best mate who had never seen me in that position before or that state of being. And that was that was the scariest day of my life because it was either I run and I own what I've just shared and what I've just done or I escape right now. I escape right now and leave this world and take my life. And in that moment, that moment, I knew that I needed to give myself a chance and that whole day led to me within 24 hours I went from panic attack to in the arms of my mom crying and sobbing at home I jumped on a plane went straight home to her I needed her mother touch I needed that mother love that support and it was just this overwhelmment of suppressed emotions that were inside and I was just sobbing like a little child again so I guess, yeah, to answer your question, it was very um, overwhelming and scary to face that denial that I had on myself for so long. And for the, for the listeners out there that are in a similar position where they might be in their mid-20s, seems to be about the age a lot of this happens, and they're, they're in that suicidal mode, they might be having suicidal thoughts, what's the point? And they're in the cycle. I mean, what's some advice that you could give um, we're probably jumping forward because I know you've done a lot of inner work, but but what's some advice to someone listening right now that might be in the trenches yeah. that really just needs something to get through and to, to move forward? What's come through for me is to to really simplify life, to, to really simplify what you are doing and to take pressure and expectations off yourself to grow and to change, but to simply break down the practice of living in a day and enjoying a day. The simple things, the simplest things is what creates shifts in us slowly. So I'm talking going for a walk down the beach, feeling the sun on your skin, actually stopping, closing your eyes down and feeling the warmth of the sun that hits when it hits your skin. I'm talking concentrate and feel your breath come in and out of your body. I'm like, I'm talking the most simple things that we do as a human that we just take for granted and we get so in our own minds and thoughts that we need that we need to be doing something in order to be growing and evolving but really you being right here being able to listen to my voice 
is a freaking miracle. And we need to remember that. Like it's the, the odds of you being here and listening are one in, one in a trillion, I believe, or something stupid. But you just here is so enough and you don't need to be anything or do anything in particular to feel that you are enough. All you need to do is focus on enjoying the moments that arise in your life. Go for a walk down the beach, go for a swim, feel the sun on your skin, try some breath work, feel the breath coming out of the body, just break it down, make it real simple, that is my advice, don't overcomplicate it, because you already know what to do, those listening, they know what to do, it's a matter of trusting themselves and taking the action, it's fucking scary, because you let go of friendships, you let go of groups, you let go of people that you know that are not serving you well, and that's terrifying, that's that fear of death, this is what it comes down to. In the tribal days when we were in tribes and we weren't fitting in or a part of that group or the tribe, we'd be kicked out of that tribe, right? And then we'd have to fend for ourselves. We may have died. That programming and that that is still in our epigenetics and DNA right now in this day and age. So we're so afraid to let go of a group or of a potential relationship that we know is not serving us that we think we're going to die. That is at the end of what that is. But you're not going to die. There's going to be some discomfort. There's going to be some things that you need to face. But know that you're not going to die. It's only a beautiful opportunity for you to see where you need to work on within yourself. All of these things, all these people that you're with is just distracting you from being your most true self. And, and know that there are other people out there that want to support you and want to be with you. You don't need to go out and drink alcohol every week to be a part of a group. This is like that herd mentality. It's like, I feel a part of them when I'm with them, when I'm doing the same thing as them. But know that there's other options. There's three in this room right now. There's three in this room right now. We'll hang out with you. But it's fucking scary. It is. And it's drilled into us so deep. It's a fear that we will not fit in and that we will lose those people. And... I tell you right now, when you actually start owning yourself and taking ownership of where you're at and speaking your truth, people will listen to you and you'll give them permission to listen to themselves. That is that is what I realized when I started not drinking, going out still because I was attached to those people. I couldn't let them go just yet, but I went out and drinking, went out without drinking and I'd go out and I'd be in these environments and I'd have no drink in my hand and people were fascinated. They're like, why are you not drinking? How are you not drinking? And everyone's thinking the same thing. I don't want to drink. I want to be here, but I don't want to drink. But I'm still drinking because everyone is. It's that pressure that comes from society. It comes from your friends. Why are you not drinking, bro? You're fun when you drink. When you're fun when you drink. I'm still fun when I'm not when I not drink as well. And where I'm going with that is when you say to somebody and you be honest with them for the reasons that you're not drinking, it'll hit them in their heart and they'll feel it. So I was just so honest. When people would say, why are you not drinking? I would say, I'm actually struggling mentally I know the drinking's damaging me and my body and I'm struggling they and it hits them they can't not feel that they can't say oh fuck a bullshit bro I had some beautiful heart opening conversations with men when I would be in the bar and they'd go why not drinking I'd say that exactly and it would give them permission to be honest with themselves and I remember one in particular I was down in Queenstown New Zealand those that have been to New Zealand I know where Queenstown is and I was in the cowboy bar, the infamous cowboy bar. And um, I was down there visiting friends and we're like, let's go out. I was like, sweet. Everyone was like, you're not drinking, eh? I was like, no, no, but you guys drank, all good. You know, I'm not going to judge you. I know, have compassion for you guys. I know where you're at and that was me. We went out to the bar and I, I walked up and I sat on a table and there was a guy there who had planted his drink there and I, um, I just stood next to him. And um, my friends were getting drinks and I was just standing there. And he goes, how you going, bro? I was like, yeah, good, brother. How are you going? good and he's like oh he's like where's your drink I was like oh, I'm not gonna drink tonight and he's like what do you mean I was like no I'm not gonna drink um I've been really struggling with my mental health and um I'm really starting to feel a little bit better inside and yeah he's like he's like how are you here how are you in this environment I said that's it I was like to begin with it was challenging but I realized that my inability to be in these environments was caused from anxiety and pressure that I was putting on myself and in that moment his mates were coming up and trying to cheers him. They're trying to smash their beers into his glass and saying, skull, bro, skull. And he was looking at me and I said to him, you don't need to drink that. You don't need to do that. 
you don't need to do what they're doing. And I just held eye contact with him and he said, I don't do I? I said, no, you don't. And in that moment he goes, I can do this too. I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. I've, I didn't want to drink for years, but I've only been doing it because of this reason. I was like, brother, I give you permission. Give yourself permission to stop. And I knew from that moment his life changed. And it was so freaking powerful and empowering to see that, from me being honest, simply impacted someone. And that's what I realized that this, what this life is all about, is about being honest. People feel and, and they feel the energy and where that's coming from. Just be honest with yourself and with others. And the moment you do that is the moment you free yourself from all of these other characters that we're pretending to be for other people. That's excellent. Yeah, no, that's that's bloody great answer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because that's always something that comes up, yeah, if it, when you stop drinking and then people ask you. I mean, like for me, it's just like, oh, you know, I was a recovering alcoholic. It's kind of, I've sort of gone both ways where I've just dumped it on them and just... The, Sometimes they just sort of react like, oh, okay, well, that's a bit alarming. But I think what you just said was just beautiful. Like, and yeah, just speaking your truth. Because, yeah, like I've heard things with, oh, you can beat around the bush. I mean, it's like, oh, you just say you're driving or you just say, it's just like, no, it's just like, yeah, like I have a problem with it and I'm finding I'm better off without it. And you just own it, you speak your truth. And, things like that can happen that was beautiful share yeah yeah and it's (laughs) it's such a masculine act as well just Mm. yeah taking taking honesty being up front um so yeah i suppose yeah for anyone listening yeah yeah great advice definitely yeah for anyone listening that that knows that they're creating the excuses just try speak your truth you know i know multiple people that are wanting to transition into not drinking and they're using excuses like i've got a headache or i've got stomach pains right now so i'm not going to drink that's still, you're still lying. You're still lying to yourself and that causes self-destruction. You're not being truthful to you, which causes disharmony in yourself, right? When we start being honest, this is when we practice self-love. This is when the self-love and respect really builds and grows. And this is when you become magnet. You become a freaking magnet because you're truthful. You love yourself. Everyone feels it. And they want to be around you regardless whether you're drinking or not. It's the energy that you're emitting. So yeah, my invitation to those that are listening is to just be truthful, be honest. Look at them in the eye when you're speaking your truth so they feel you. If you're looking away and, and fidgeting with yourself when you're speaking your truth, that is going to call that out. The ego is going to see straight through it and, get, and it's going to challenge you. But if you look them dead in the eye and you say, look, I'm, this is my truth, whatever that is for you, it may not be the same as mine. I was struggling mentally. It could be the alcohol's making me do things that I don't want to do. It could be something like that. But whatever that truth is for you, speak that. Look them in the eye and they'll feel you. They can't not feel you. And then so from the time that you've quit drinking to where you are now, how did you first find sobriety? And, and how did you progress into starting this, uh, the, the call to be conscious movement and I suppose um, becoming as spiritually developed or on the spiritual journey that you're on now? Yeah, um, huge question. We, um, for me, when I stopped drinking, it was fucking terrifying. And it was terrifying because I had to face the things that I was running away from. I had to go into my weekend without that vice or that way of escaping my emotions. And I had to start to feel things. And that was really challenging. The first three weeks were the hardest. Those that have listened, for me, the first three weeks were the most challenging. And as I began to get used to sitting with myself, being with myself, I started to understand that there was so much inside of me that was needing to be seen and dealt with and heard. Um, For so long, I couldn't spend time with myself. I was so afraid of my own company. And it was because I was afraid of what what was going to arise. But to begin with, what I started to do was just sit with myself, go to the beach by myself and just see what came up. And as the weeks progressed, it was almost as if I was coming out of the fog. It was like I was starting to see things a little bit more clearly. I was beginning to feel a new sense of energy in my body and almost excitement again. Because for me, I was, in a, I was in a very low energetic state of being. 
so for me i was i was looking forward to going out and 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 meeting people and and dancing and and whatnot but then i started to become excited to just wake up i was like fuck i'm just excited to be here you know and and feeling all of those really simple things that we take for granted the sun on my skin everything just started to change and i was becoming aware of how much the alcohol had affected me throughout my life you know i started drinking at 14 I didn't stop all the way through until 23 years old. You know, I hadn't gone a week sober for that amount of time, and it was confronting. And from from there on, it was it was very um, it was very clear to me what I needed to do and face, and my whole reality really started to shift. Um, what I decided to do at the beginning of 2020, I went and seen a psychiatrist and she said to me, this is right. This is when shit hit the fan for me. This is when I went back to mum. She made me promise that I'd go and see a psychiatrist. And I did. And she said to me, you're a very sensitive soul. I've had no idea what that meant. You're a very sensitive soul, which means alcohol, sugar, whatever you put in your body, you're going to feel a lot. And that resonated with me. I was like, oh, I get that. And she's like, what you need to do is stop drinking alcohol. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the psychotic ward. You start losing neurotransmitters and you start losing your mind, so they, so they call it. So I did that. I said, okay, I'm going to do 12 months. I did, 12 months. Over that 12-month period is when I grew the most. And what ended up happening is I got to 12 months and I didn't want to, I still didn't want to drink. I just didn't want to have the alcohol because I started to really love my body and I knew what it was doing to my body and I knew the consequences of what I had to face to process and move this alcohol and energy out of my system. I think I went I went 14 months and the first alcohol I had after that period was a, a red wine and we were celebra- I was celebrating with Rue over here, celebrating the launch of the community in Coolangatta. And so the intent was so different. It was to celebrate and have a glass of red. And for me, I was really beginning to understand that my intentions were what mattered the most. So when I was drinking and I was unconscious of what my intentions were, it was really to numb my mind, to feel a state of calm because my emotional body and my energetic body was so compressed. I was using alcohol as a tool to black out, full stop. And see, now I can see that alcohol isn't the problem. It's really the intention and the mindset we have towards it and the relationship we have towards it. Are we using this as a vice? Can we stop altogether? Do we have an attachment to it? Or can we just stop cold turkey and be okay with that? That is, I guess, the indicator for me and for those that are listening to see if you have an attachment to something. Just like your car. Am I attached to this thing? If it, if it was an accident and someone crashed into it and it completely got disintegrated would I be okay with that if I lost my phone today and I lost it would I be okay with that or am I going to search the whole day looking for it can I just be okay with letting that go same with alcohol so I guess for those that are listening I want you to I want you to ask yourself what am I most attached to and then I want you to practice letting that go like imagining an energetic cord to that and cutting it and saying that is, that is not actually mine. Like I don't own it. It's a piece of material in the in the world that I'm just borrowing while I'm here. It's not actually ours. And when we can see that none of this is ours, only the body that we came into this world is ours, and it's all we leave with. We don't leave with the cars or the iPhones or the shirts. We leave with an empty vessel, a body, you know, a piece of meat, just as we arrived in. So when we can understand these things, we take away the pressure of the attachment to believe that that is mine. Because it's not. Just like the, the cup of tea that's right in front of you, you know, that's not actually yours. You're just borrowing that to put in your body, you know. And if, if I was to grab it and scull it, to, for you to not react to that would be an example of having non attachment to that cup of tea. It's like, shmeh, it's all right. It's just a tea that's sitting there in a glass just conveniently. That's mm. mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, bro, don't touch don't my touch tea, that, bro. <laughs> There's more tea in the cupboard. <laughs> so we can practice this sense of attachment throughout a day and for those that are listening i want you to practice that see how attached you are to the things that you have in your life like if you've got a routine or you have have your morning coffee every single day 
see if you can not have that for a week see if you can go without that and this will give you an understanding of what you're attached to and what you potentially may be addicted to in that way same as the alcohol my problem is the coffee machine that's sitting right there in the kitchen <laughs> and but... it's shining <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it winks at you. i reckon a lot of people yeah would be the phone as well like yeah. the phone i mean i had an episode where i was pissed in amsterdam and lost my phone and then that was just like all over. <laughs> all over. The world crumbles. Yeah. You just crumble down and put yourself in the state of panic. Yeah. And, and we, had, we had a chat with um, Drew Wild um, earlier this week and he talked a lot about how addiction and trauma are sort of intertwined. Um, and I think there's a lot of scientific evidence to support this claim. How did you find that on your personal journey? Um, I suppose how does your tra trauma tie into addiction and um, do you find, I think you said you're able to have a glass of wine. Do you find that you're still able to have a glass of wine now? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, firstly, yeah, Drew Wilder is an amazing man and I really respect him. Um, I love that you guys have had him on. He's, he's got a big mind and a big heart. Um, but yeah, in terms of in, in terms of the trauma aspect and, um, and alcohol, alcohol again is, is another distraction from feeling what's really going on inside of the body. So for me, when I detached from alcohol I was able to become aware of things that were pressing internally um, and yeah, trauma is trauma is unexpressed or unfelt things that have happened in our life and every single human on this planet has trauma full stop and it is there's so much stigma around it as if it's a bad word or a bad thing but it's not it's a freaking exciting thing it is an opportunity for you to free yourself in a way and as you become more aware and clear, when you start to let go of these things that are numbing your level of consciousness down as, a, as an energetic being, as a vibration, what happens is we start to illuminate the things that are holding us down. And it gets so um, loud and noisy, these things that we need to face. It's almost as if the intuition and, and the, that inner voice for those that are tuning in don't know what intuition is. It's a, it's a voice that begins to get loud inside of you. It's a guidance tool. And it will start to speak to you in ways that we can't understand intellectually. It tells you exactly where and what you need to feel. And every, I believe every single human, as an adult, that's moved through childhood trauma or trauma in their adulthood, they know exactly what they need to face. We always know, but we choose to not feel it because it's terrifying. It's really scary. But if we do not face it, it gets stuck in your body it causes stagnation within our cellular structure and stagnant energy causes, it's like a pond, right? You look at a pond that's not moving, the water is just not flowing, it causes all sorts of issues, it fungi and, and overgrows and it looks terrible. As soon as you unblock that dam and allow the energy to flow, you get a beautiful current of energy. And this is exactly what's happening with emotional trauma and things that are stuck inside of us that we haven't expressed. The more you can become aware of these things that are stuck in your body, as soon as you take yourself back to that moment, feel into what wasn't felt in there, this is when you can open up that dam. And we were so unaware of how many dams we have in our body, but when we open these things up, we just become so much more energetic and we have access to so much more of the wisdom that we hold in our body. What I believe is within the cellular structure, it's like a, an, an electrical circuitry, like a web of information. And the more we can awaken these cells using these different modalities, obviously the main one that we use is breath work. It energizes and awakens these cells. Yes, we find the trauma that is stuck in these cells, which is scary, but also I like to use the word now, it's exciting. It's exciting to find these things. Once we awaken these cells, feel and understand what this trauma is, move through that, the way in which the world works as it's uh, there's always polarity right where there's hot there's cold when there's up there's down when there's push there's pull when we awaken the trauma we also awaken all of the wisdom and this wisdom is this is this is coming down from epigenetics it's in our dna and this has been proven through science as well that we hold trauma from seven generations back so this trauma may not even be ours, but it's stuck in our body. And it is our, it's our responsibility as a conscious human 
to look into what that is and to awaken it, to heal it. As soon as we heal that, as soon as we stick a, put a blockage to that trauma and the way that it's showing up in our reality, we heal seven generations ahead of us. We put a stop to it. And it might not even be something that you're aware of, but you know when you're, you're moving through life and you see a certain person and they make you feel a certain way by the way that they're looking or the way that they're acting and you don't have any, you've got, you're like, why did they make me feel that way? That could be from an inherited trauma pattern from your parents or your grandma or whatever that may have happened. So they've experienced something, that trauma has gone into their cellular data, into their body, it's been passed down through you, through DNA, epigenetics, that's in your body. So this is what's really exciting about being conscious and more aware of yourself. We can identify these things and the programs that we are showing up as and going, frick, why do I always act that way around this certain person? Or why am I closing down in this way when that person does this to me? Or why does that noise make me scared or afraid? Because it shouldn't. Nothing in this world should make you afraid because you are so safe inside of your body. Everything externally is happening just as it is. When we can understand the safety that we have inside of our body, then nothing else really exists. So those things that are triggering or causing tension or discomfort in your body, that is your opportunity to look into that and go, why did that actually make that reaction? Why did that put me in a fight or flight response? Why did that make me want to disappear from the room? Why could I not be in that confrontation? You know, when someone's challenging you or saying, um, you've done something wrong or they're like, why'd you do that? Why they're challenging you? Why should that make us feel uncomfortable if we know that we're doing our best? Because it shouldn't matter. So that is a trauma response from your parents saying to you that you're not good enough and they're not going to show you love. So what we're really afraid of when we're in those confrontations is losing love. That's all it is. Yeah, I think it's hard in Australia because there's so much stigma around around emotions, especially for men. You know, if you, if you talk about that thing at the footy club, you know, you just get you get laughed out the room and just harden up, have another beer. Um, and that's, I mean, that's been my experience with footy. And unfortunately, I had to stop playing because, um, yeah, to in order to grow, I sort of had to distance myself from that community. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's something that in Australia we really need to try and help is is move people into into more of a conscious state um by looking in instead of looking looking outward because um, i know will and i we we do breath work most mornings now and we exercise and we spend time reflecting on these things and what's um i mean do you i mean i'm assuming you still practice those things every day but what is your what's your um schedule look like in terms of practice my practice recently has been really gentle um, like I haven't actually tuned in with breathwork for a while in terms of um, a practice. Being aware of the breath, I'm always aware of it now. I'm always witnessing what it's doing in my body. Am I breathing into my belly? Am I breathing in and out through my nose? Or where's it going? I'm always unconsciously aware of it because I've been doing it for so long and practicing it for so long. But for me, my routine and my practice recently has been getting up, practicing these simple things getting my feet on the earth in the morning, getting that morning sun on my skin, feeling it, moving my body. I believe like body movement is so key to creating flow energetically through the system. Moving your body, it doesn't need to be for long, 15, 20 minutes. I move my body for that long. And then, yeah, I go to the beach. I jump in the ocean, go for a swim. And that's 8 o'clock. You know, and I've started my day. And that's the best way that I can start my day. And yes, sometimes I'll take a moment to just be still and sit with myself and bring in gratitude. And again, going back to going back to that state of being where you're really struggling. Like I'm still doing the practices that you that I want you to do. I'm feeling the sun on my skin. I'm feeling the breath coming out of my body. I'm practicing witnessing the sand in, in, in between my toes. Practicing the really simple things. When we can when we can do that, when we can get out of the expectations that we're putting on ourselves to grow and be something this is when we just find peace and find ease in life but where's the fun in that i just <laughs> want to go drink piss and do drugs and dance around at a festival i, I mean everything you're saying it's you know it's yeah. so boring compared to that isn't it it is it's so boring and my question to those that are still in these environments and are doing all these 
other things that these alternative things that are potentially causing what's well, putting you in a piss up environment and you're drinking and you're still doing the things like how much suffering must you go through that is that is my question what is it going to take for you to make a change consciously in your life you know some people drink piss and they're happy as like i go do your thing bro i'm happy for you you know whatever you're doing if you're happy congratulations but if it's not working for you and you know that you're in a rut and you know that you're not happy mentally and you're having these thoughts that are low, what's it going to take, brother and, and woman? What's it going to take? Like, what will it take for you to go, frick, I should really zoom out a little bit and look at what I'm doing and look at who I'm surrounding myself with. Our environment is, is number one. Yeah, speaking of environment, like, I guess for me, when I was sober and then trying to, yeah, find environments, because I guess pattern old pattern behavior well i'll just still go out and not drink and more and more i was doing that i guess it was good to get comfortable around people drinking while i was not drinking it got to a point where i was just like i don't really want to be here like because i've always said you know as people get more drunk they're going over that way i'm sort of staying here which is fine but i'd rather sort of find something else and i guess for a long time i was just like is there anything else and then that's when i started doing i mean it was just I was getting up early in the morning and then someone posted on Instagram, it was men's medicine, it was Lino's group down here in Broadbeach doing breath work. And yeah, again, it was just, what is breath work? What is, what is this, what is this shit? I breathe every day. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. And then, so it started from there doing that. I was like, okay, well, there's a community of people and it was different because it was in the morning. So I was like, all right, well, these people are up at sunrise. They're not going to be pissed drunk or anything so that was um that was a start and then yeah. which led to like all right are there any other communities which led me to cool to be conscious which um i guess you know you started with rue mckenzie what down in cool now you're on beaches pretty much all around australia um and yeah it was you know it's around breath work it was around connection um and i guess especially for me i guess i had sort of i guess if i was putting myself in sort of an environment where I was actually forced to sort of like, you're not sort of forced, but you're sort of put in where it's like, all right, you're going to sit and connect with people. Yeah. Um, sort of worked well to sort of, and then obviously we've joined me and Mitch in the brotherhood now and sort of that community. Um, yeah. It's just, you sort of find, you, yeah, it's just like, Oh, I did find the, the new environments and yeah, it's, yeah. it might not be centered. I mean, it's not like you promote it as a sober environment, but it's certainly not like, like there's it's certainly not sort of a core value of it i guess where it's where it is i guess for a lot of people's sort of socialization there's usually some drinks around the table yeah i think i think this is our 10th episode and i reckon every time we've talked about environment so for those that aren't sure just to be clear change your environment you know if if if, if you really you know if you need a hot a hot tip at least the last yeah, yeah. is just change your environment yeah like it's i mean yeah. yeah. What do they say? Just just look at the the closest five people that you surround yourself with, and you're a reflection of them, you know. And I talk about this a lot, but the more you make a conscious decision to grow and respect your energy and where you're at and face your emotions and face yourself, the part of yourselves that you don't want to face, those terrifying things that may have happened in your life that you haven't actually mourned through or grieved through or felt fully. Once you start feeling these things. What happens is you start to detach from the need to be with people and the need to be with people is you going out drinking because it's the easiest place to go or those groups that you know that you need to let go of but you're afraid to. Once you start facing yourself, you start enjoying yourself. You start to realize how powerful you are on your own and it's dangerous because as soon as you start to realize the power that you have within yourself, you don't want to be around other people. Because they impact you and you know the peace and love that you have within yourself. So know that that'll just naturally dissolve that need to go out and want to be with people when you really start to truly love yourself. Yeah, such a good point. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you for your time today. I know you're a, you're, you're a man in demand and I'd love to talk all day. Um, but uh, has it been that long already? Yeah, yeah. it's just <laughs> like a, like a flash of lightning, isn't oh, it? It's just, just like life. Um, but we like to finish on a on a question to 
to uh, end with a positive. Let's go. Is uh, can you please share with us a tale of you in your in your glory days on the piss, uh, and maybe an embarrassing tale that went along with it? An embarrassing tale. I've got a few, but the one that comes to mind is, <laughs> I um, we went out we went out in the in a pub in in Christchurch. It was called the Fox and Ferret. This is the days where I wasn't 18. I was using a fake ID. My ID told I was only 17 and my ID said I was 24 years old, which was a big pull off. And um, we're out drinking. This is when I had, I was making a lot of money back then because I was driving tractors for 12 to 16 hours a day. So my paycheck for a 17 year old was like two and a half thousand a week. Yeah, which was great. So whenever I'd go out, I would be the guy that was just throwing money around and I just, would just be like, want a drink? Let's go, let's go, let's go. And this, looking back, was me seeking love externally. But I'd get so blind and so drunk that I'd do stupid, stupid things. And um, this night in particular, I thought it'd be a really great idea to take my clothes off and hang off the balcony that was over the bar. I don't know how it come up, but all of you know when you're, you're you're drunk and everything's flickering, you're like there and then you're there and then you're there, and I went from I went from bar drinking to hanging from my hands, no clothes on, <laughs> and I was getting pulled from my ankles by security, and I was like, oh fuck. Next minute, I'm on the deck getting dragged out by my hair, thrown outside. My mates are like, oh fuck. Because um, I, was, I was that guy, I just had no boundaries. When I would really drink, I would really let go of everything and just... But this isn't even the best part of the story. I got kicked out. Friends were like, oh, fuck, Ryan, just being a pest again. Let's let's give him the key to the flat. I was staying at a friend's flat. Let's give him the key to the flat, put him in the taxi, and just send him home. Because it was quite early too. It was like 12 o'clock. I get sent home. I'm in the taxi. Car pulls up at the cul-de-sac where we were staying at this flat. And I was I was blind, and what I must have done was dropped the key in the cul-de-sac. I get to the flat, and I must have tried to get in, couldn't get in. You run, come home at about three a.m. to me asleep outside, like by the door, and it was freezing. It was I was shivering apparently, and they picked me up. They put me in the spare room, in the spare bed, um, and I remember like oh yeah, stumbling, getting up, going to bed, and. What happened next was really weird. So I um I was still obviously so smashed. I came to consciousness realizing that I was taking a massive shit on the office chair beside the bed. And it was like <laughs> I remember, I remember I remember just I remember piss going everywhere and a big poo like just on the chair. On this office chair and it was my mate's home. I was in the spare room. And I remember going, oh no, what have you done? And it was like a booze poo too. It wasn't, it wasn't so. What I started to do was just shove all this poo in toilet paper. And I started cupping it to the toilet. And then I threw the office chair out of the balcony, off the balcony onto the lawn. And because <laughs> it honked, that it honked, right? In the morning, the boys came in and um, the owner of the house, he's like, or the owner of the flat, he's like, I thought there was a chair in here, right? And I was like, and it came to me. I was like, "Oh my goodness, that actually happened." I was like, "I was like, I was like, can you look outside?" And he's like, "What the fuck, bro? It's outside." I was like, "Bro, I shit on it last night. I'm so sorry." And he's just like, "What the fuck?" And it was so funny because we had like, the boys had like got girls over and you know from the night out and and it was just so embarrassing. I was like, oh, "I've just shit over this chair and I've thrown it out the window," and oh now. Everyone knows that I shit on this chair, and it was it was for me. I think that's the most embarrassing moment. Mate, I did not expect to get to yeah. that to go that way for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get to tell it. I haven't told that story very often, like mm, at all yeah. on a podcast. That's yeah. Just come up. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. That's yeah, that, that was a, that was a ripper. Because <laughs> um, and that's the funny thing because you like just listening to him and just like wow, this guy's he's done a lot of work. He's a conscious, humble, lovely guy, and then. Oh, that was also him at one point <laughs> yeah. as well, which, yeah, like, I mean, I have stories like that, yeah. which probably does as yeah. well. Like, awesome. it, you can be a completely different person you when can. you're on the piss. You can. And it's, it's you've got to start somewhere. 
you've got to start somewhere, you know, and I've actually pinned a post to the top of my Instagram feed and it's a post, it's a video of me when I was really drunk and I'm spinning around being a complete egghead, there's photos of me really inflamed in my face, big baggy bags under my eyes, like I just look tired and fatigued, I look like my face looks completely different um, and I pinned that because it's, we need to be reminded, you know, of, of everyone starts somewhere and those that look at me or meet me go, fuck, you must have grown up with conscious parents. I'm like, no, the complete opposite. And how long have you been doing this for? Two and a half years. What? And for those that are listening, like, start now. Make the choice. Like, that is the start. People go, where do I start? How do I start? Starting is by choosing to start. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but you will know what to do. Just start. Beautiful. God, thank you so much for your time, brother. That's awesome. My pleasure. It's been it's been awesome just to chat into all this, and it's such a, an important topic, and and very predominant for people out there. And thank you so much for doing this work and and bringing awareness to this, because we've all been there. We've all been on this experience and all had this relationship with alcohol. And know that wherever you're at right now with it is perfect. And again, if you're struggling, zoom out, take a look, be honest with yourself, speak your truth. And see what happens. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. I mean, that was an awesome tale from Mr. Hubbard. It was. It was a very good and one. And to sort of, yeah, where he is now and the work he's doing is just excellent. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's been a pleasure having you here. And you've got you've got some other things to get to, so we'll let you we'll let you go now. Um, this has been Last Strengths. I'm Will Hitchens. This is Mitchell Ford. We'll see you in the next one. See you later. <laughs> Big love, fam. Let's go. <laughs> <Ta -da. laughs>